You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. One of the things that I enjoy about worship, and I think that is so important, is that we can hear each other sing. Um, Part of worship is, is meant to do that, that we're not only singing to God, but we are singing so that we hear from one another, we encourage each other in that way, and uh, I appreciate that so much, and I appreciate this morning uh, over here in my little section hearing all of these little voices singing their hearts out on these songs. Uh, It is a sweet sound, church, amen, and uh, we're super thankful for that. Well, the message today is from Nehemiah chapter 3. This may be a passage that if you were reading uh, in your, uh, through the Bible, your quiet time, you might be tempted to skip over. Uh, it's filled with a lot of names that are hard to uh, pronounce and uh, a lot of repetition. And uh, it's easy to think, well, this word doesn't really have anything uh, for us today. But I think to do that risk really missing one of the great chapters that, are in, uh, that is in the book of Nehemiah and an important message for us today. So let's look at it together. And I'm just going to read a portion of it, uh, but, but only if you promise not to make fun of all of my Hebrew pronunciations, all right? I'm going to do my best here, um, but uh, it's a bit challenging. But let's look at this uh, chapter, a few verses of it anyway. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it and set its doors And they consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. And I want you to notice there as we read this, there's a a pattern or or an organization to chapter 3. So you have a gate that is being built, and then the walls that are around it. So in verse 3 you have another gate. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams, and they set its doors and its bolt and its bars. And then if you look at verses 4 and 5, it records those who built the wall around that particular gate. And then verse 6, we have another gate. Verse 6, Joida, the son of Pesei, and Meshulam, and the son of Besodeah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. And then... Again, verses 7 through 12, those who rebuilt the section of the wall around that particular gate. Then look down in verse 13. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, and they rebuilt it, set its doors, its boats, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Verse 14, Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of beth repaired the Dungate. And Shalom, the son of Kohose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. Now, notice also the phrases, next to him and after him. You'll see those phrases, and you may, may be a phrase that you want to mark in your Bible, uh, take time to do that. You'll be marking a bunch of them, uh, but we, there's those phrases over and over again. Verse 30, notice at the end of verse 30. 
After him, that's one of our phrases, after him, Mishalom, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Micaiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants uh, repaired. Let's pause for prayer. Father, thank you for uh, the testimony of your word this morning of, to the great work that you were doing in a day that seems far removed from us, Lord, but nevertheless is a part of uh, the history of the, the redemption story, Lord. And so, Lord, open our eyes this morning to see and hear your word and how it may apply to us, Lord, that we would uh, seek to apply it faithfully and to live it faithfully in the power of your Spirit. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that uh, you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to recap, in chapter 1, God began to work in Nehemiah's heart, placing on him the burden of these broken down walls around the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he begins to take action. God moves in the king of Persia's heart, whom Nehemiah is serving, to allowing him to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Chapter 2 ends with Nehemiah sharing with the people how God had worked all of these things out in His providence, and He challenged them to get involved with the work. Chapter 2, verse 18 says, The people said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. And now we come to chapter 3, and it, it really is an amazing testimony of how God worked to bring all of these people together to accomplish His kingdom work. That's what this, this chapter is. It's a testimony of that. This is a story worth remembering. Uh, the details worth writing down. And so we have the individual names of people and the details of all the walls and the gates that were uh, repaired, uh, that they had had a hand in, in rebuilding. This was tangible evidence that God was working in and through them. And so I think it it is a story that offers great encouragement for us as a people of God, the people of God here at, at, at First Baptist, of an example of what a church can be and should be. Uh, a powerful, united group of people attempting and accomplishing even great things for God to partner together for the spread of the mandate, the project, the gospel, uh, the furthering of the gospel that He has given us and our, our church to be about. So we're reminded here in Nehemiah chapter 3 what needs to happen in our lives and in our church as we respond to how God is working uh, in us. We should pray for these responses in our own lives. I want you to notice three of them. First of all, as God works, we need to participate in His work. As He works, we need to set our hands to work and join Him. This is a, a a remarkable testimony of participation here in Nehemiah. Let me give you just a, some snapshots of this. There are uh, 38 workers who are named, and of course many who are unnamed, but 38 who are named. Uh, 42 uh, different groups of people are, are mentioned. Uh, there's a great diversity of people. Verse 8, there are uh, professional craftsmen. You read about goldsmiths. 
uh, perfume makers. Uh, verse 32, you read about merchants. Uh, you, you have in this list uh, civic leaders and, and laborers working side by side with farmers. Uh, you have city folks who are uh, working with country folks. You have, verse 12, you have men and women working together. Uh, verse 1 says that even preachers worked. I, I don't know why y'all find that funny, but uh, just it's what it says. But the obvious point is everybody's involved in the work. Uh, there wasn't the, this wasn't the work of one man or the work of a a small group or select few. This is a picture of a whole congregation of people coming together to work. There's one exception found in verse 5, and we'll talk about it, that in just a moment. But, but the main point is that there was participation in, in God's work. And I remind you, this is the picture that is set forth for us for the church in the New Testament as well. That the people of God would be engaged in the work and service of God. God's church works when every part and every member is working together. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, another vivid word picture for us. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it, not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's a beautiful picture of the church, isn't it? All of us together, uh, uniquely gifted by the Spirit, in God's design, every part of the body would be involved in kingdom work, each member. Each person striving faithfully to do their part. This is how we glorify God in the church, in the body of Christ. This is how we accomplish His work. I think about, you know, over the years, uh, how, many, how much work of Christ's church has been done by really a vast army of all kinds of, of people who have devoted themselves to God, to the kingdom, to serve Him, and, and to further His kingdom's cause by doing all kinds of things, from cleaning to catering to flower arranging to building repairs, uh, passing out flyers, making phone calls, sending cards, uh, working in the nursery, uh, teaching, uh, and scores of other tasks. And many of those tasks will never be uh, acclaimed, so to speak, on, on this side of heaven. But how wonderful is it that our God sees and knows all of them? And, and it illustrates the, that part of the work that God does in us in conforming us to be like Christ is that He gives us a servant's heart a desire to serve in these ways. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 
22:27, he said, I am among you as the one who serves. If we're to reflect Jesus who lives in us and let Him live through us, then it will manifest itself in some kind of service to Him, to His kingdom. And so I pray that if you're not involved in some way of supporting or serving the ministry here in the community, that you will, you will ask God to do this work in, in my heart. What, what, how am I to serve? How do you want me to serve your kingdom, your body of Christ? Ask Him to change your desires. Ask Him to change your priorities. Ask Him to open up a door of opportunity for you to use your giftedness and then pursue that. Now, I would give you a shameless plug in commercial at this point that we do have Vacation Bible School coming up in our church. And the number of kids continues to, uh, the enrollment continues to grow, praise the Lord, but the involvement and the the workers that are needed uh, remains quite stagnant these days. So, pray about how God might be able to use you in that capacity. Uh, Chuck Swindoll tells a great story describing what oftentimes happens in the church. He writes this, it's a story about four people whose names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to do, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody would do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody, And nobody did what anybody could have done. So true, isn't it? Let's not forget that God has called all of us to be a part of His body and to serve. I want you to notice something else, though. We've been called to participate in His work, but also to submit to His purpose. In other words, there was a specific call. Here, in the case of Nehemiah, the purpose was to... Uh, restore the city, to rebuild the walls. This was the, the, the part of, of the mission. It was a huge task. We, we, we estimate that it's somewhere around two and a half miles of masonry work that needed to be done. There was mortar to be mixed. There were uh, rocks to be gathered. There was this timber to be, to be measured and cut to build the gates and so forth. And all, all of these things. And, 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 and so this was a huge project. And God's people all came together around this particular mission, around this cause. And, and they did so with amazing commitment. This is a great testimony here uh, of the commitment of the people as they submitted to this uh, mission, this task. Let me point out to you three examples of this that that seemed to stand out to me. And there's probably some others as well, but just three. Notice some worked uh, selflessly in doing this. Notice verse 23. It says that after them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Mesaiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. This is, this is interesting. Nehemiah, the, a great organizer, he had the people working on the, the section of the wall that was closest to their home, uh, the, the, or the gate, which was very effective for, for productivity, right? They didn't have to travel very far to work. They just 
worked on the section that was closest to them, and they, they took pride in the section of the wall that was uh, near their own home and, and protected their home. But, but notice this also. Others came from outside of the city to work on the wall. So they didn't have any kind of uh, personal uh, vested interest. Verse 2 tells us that the men of Jericho came from, obviously from out of town. In other words, that the little section of the wall didn't benefit them personally, per se. And there were many others who came to work on the wall with, with no uh, immediate benefit to themselves. This is a great reminder to us that, that we're to help strengthen the parts of the church even when there's no immediate personal benefit to us. Now, we see this, and in many, you, you, we could think of many ways this could manifest itself. Say, when older couples or, uh, uh, or singles are serving in the children's department, or uh, youth who are serving our seniors, or uh, empty nesters serving our young families in some way, and so on and so forth, we, we could continue on. Every week, every week millions of Christians, they, they will uh, sacrificially give uh, uh, money to projects and, and mission causes. Many times you will never see the results of those things. Uh, but, but we're confident as we give them, knowing that, that God will use those resources. Uh, oftentimes, we spend countless hours praying for people you don't know. Praying for someone's family member that you've never met. You may never meet, but you, you pray. We, we, we trust them to God, trusting that He's going to work in those situations. We have a group of ladies in our church that sold dresses for little girls in, in needy places of the world. Many of those girls, they will never meet. And yet they do so because, um, because the love of Jesus has so blessed them, being forgiven of their sins and being set free from themselves, they simply want to serve and give out of that love. That is true. That should be true for all of us, church, to serve selflessly. Others demonstrated this by going the extra mile. The extra mile. Verse 5, we are introduced to the men of Tekoa. They are also from out of town. Verse 5 tells us that their nobles didn't help out at all. Uh, in fact, it says their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. What a sad statement, isn't it? That phrase suggests that it was their pride that kept them from serving. But here's what's encouraging about this. It didn't stop the ordinary men, there's the nobles who didn't want to work, but the ordinary men from Tekoa, they worked, they repaired a section of the wall. And then if you drop down to verse 27, it, there's another fantastic note. It says that the Tekoites, same group of people, they repaired another section of the wall. So here's a group of people who seemingly went the extra mile. When they finished their section of the wall, they didn't say, well, you know, that's our part. I think we're going to head on home now. They said, you know what, there's more work to be done. We can do another part. And they went above and beyond. What a great testimony for Christ. The mission had to be accomplished, and so they gave themselves to it. Notice another example, and again, there, there may be some more, but here, here's a third one. Some did the, the dirty work. And, and by that, I mean the work that no one else wanted to do. We read in verse 14 of a man named Malkijai, the son of Rechab, 
ruler of the district of Bethhacharim, who repaired, it says, the dung gate. The dung gate. That's the gate that led to the city garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It was also the place called Gehenna, which Jesus used to describe hell, fire that burned there constantly, burning up uh, the stuff in the dump. And I can imagine only as Nehemiah divided up this work, you know, who wants the sheep gate? Yeah, I'll take the sheep gate. I got that one. Who wants the fountain gate? Oh, I'm in for that one. Who wants the dung gate? Nobody wanted that. Thank goodness. Here's Malkijah. Here was a man that says he was a ruler, uh, so he was of upper class. He's the only volunteer who's mentioned to do this project. But thank goodness for him that somebody did it. The church needs people who will do the work that no one else wants to do. Menial tasks at times, behind-the-scene tasks, things that don't often receive a lot of praise and accolades for those things, but it's some of the most important work that needs to be done. Someone, you, you, see, you see things that, that need to be done, and, and, and you, you go the extra mile. You just step up and, and do that. Thank goodness for Malkijai. Amen? So there's a great testimony here uh, of those who are, are doing this, and I'm excited to think about the work that God, how He's equipped our church with uh, unique gifts, personalities, interests, callings. Think about what God might want to do and could do here in us in terms of kingdom work, but we've got to participate in the work, it says. We've got to submit ourselves to Him to His purpose and mission for our lives. Third, we have to cooperate. Cooperate with God's people. That's the third point. Uh, apart from the, the nobles of uh, Tekoa, there's a remarkable unity in Nehemiah in this chapter 3. I, I mentioned to you the phrase, next to him or them or after them, uh, 28 times. <laughs> That's mentioned in this chapter over and over again. It, it's a phrase that describes the in, incredible partnership that the people experienced. Uh, even with an incredible diversity of crowd, inside, in-towners and out-of-towners and so forth, God bringing them together, unifying them in one purpose, this partnership that we see, this cooperation that we see. Nehemiah didn't record that the people were competing with one another. There, there, it wasn't a matter of who could get the section done first. They came together, they cooperated together for one particular goal. It seems that they caught Nehemiah's vision for the glory of God for this project. They developed this desire to see the city of God restored and so that God would be honored once again. And so they came together and cooperated in this. It's a beautiful picture. Those watching from the outside took notice, as we're going to see in future chapters. But they weren't just noticing the work that was getting done. They were noticing the cooperation of the people. They were noticing what was happening in the people because they were seeing a different dynamic emerge of the people of the people of God. They were seeing a, a formation of community among the people. 
What was happening in the people, perhaps, was more significant than what was happening in the walls. The work that they were doing on the wall was an indicator of the work that God was doing in their hearts and minds, bringing them closer in relationship to one another with an identity that was built around God and His glory. They were being transformed. This is a picture of fellowship, of what we would call fellowship in the New Testament, koinonia, unity in the body of Christ. I thought of this passage this week as I was thinking of Nehemiah 3, Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's a picture of the fellowship of God, the fellowship of the church. It's what Jesus said should mark our lives as His followers. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. More than buildings, more than programs, more than any of these things. When God works in His people, there is a deep cooperation. There is a selfless unity. There is a fellowship of love that causes people from the outside who are looking in to notice. Nothing gives a a clearer, plainer message of God's glory than God's people sharing God's gospel with God's love between them. People take notice. And it's not just noticed by the world. This is noticed by our Father. He sees when we live for His glory rather than ourselves. He notices when we live in this kind of loving fellowship with His people. In fact, it may be one of the primary points of this chapter, the reason the names of more than 30 ordinary people doing this work for God's glory is recorded, it's because God notices. He sees this. He notices their work. He notices their submission to His purpose, the cooperation and love that they have for one another. It's a magnificent thing when, when a Christian believer can live their lives and then leave behind something in this world that will continue to testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God. One of the eight Beatitudes in the book of Revelation promises that those who die in the Lord will have this indescribable joy, and here's why, because their earthly deeds will follow them on the earth. They will give testimony. The good that they have done does not die with them, but continues to bear fruit to the glory of God. Think of that vision for your life, for our church. Heaven will be full of surprises as believers discover how God used their works to bring about His kingdom, ways that we didn't even dream of or think about. 
infinitely superior to Nehemiah's walls will be the evangelism and the discipleship that we can invest in other people in this particular life. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul told us, he said, each one should be careful how he builds because it matters, because God notices. So let's be encouraged today as Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's be encouraged, church, to obedience today to our God, to participate in His work that He's called us to, to submit to His mission, to cooperate with His people. And then, if these things are missing in our lives, to pray for these things and seek them in our own lives. Pray for them, seek them for our church. What does obedience to God's Word look like in your life this morning? This chapter is about participation. What's the next step of participation for you in the body of Christ? Maybe it's joining a Sunday school group on Sunday morning. Maybe it's volunteering to serve in VBS, another shameless plug. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's saying, you know, I'm going to attend the Discover First Baptist class next Sunday morning because I need to pursue membership and commitment in this church. What's the next step? For some of you, it may be responding to God's saving work through Jesus Christ. You know, more important than being in Nehemiah's uh, book of service here is to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And we sang earlier, worthy is the Lamb. We're singing about Jesus Christ. And Revelation tells us that no one who is unclean, meaning unrepentant, unbelieving, No one will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those names who are found written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who acknowledge their sin before God. Those who humble themselves, who look to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain on the cross for our sins. Those who look to Him and Him alone in faith. Only those who look to the Lamb will have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name there? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. We pray, Father, that you would use it to accomplish your purposes in our lives. We pray it even now. Maybe there is someone here who needs to make a public response, a public commitment. Father, we ask that you would work. And then, Lord, we pray for our own sanctification. If there are things in our lives that need to be shifted and shaped and changed, transformed by you, Lord, we invite you. We ask you that you would use this word that has been proclaimed today, your word, to bring about the change that you desire in us. And so we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. 
I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.